Welcome to the Diabetes Revolution podcast with Dr. Sarah Townley, the type 2 diabetes coach, clinical pharmacist, and mom of seven angels. You don't have to struggle and fight with your blood sugars for the rest of your life. I'm here to teach you the skills you need to control and even reverse this disease. There is such a thing as getting off your meds and creating a future free from diabetes, and you can have it too. Let's get down to business. Hello, my friends. I'm so happy to be back with you on the Diabetes Revolution podcast. This is Dr. Sarah Townley, your host, and I have an amazing topic for you today. As usual, right? Like I always think I have the best ideas, but really, you guys, these ideas are not my ideas. (laughs) They're actually things that my one-on-one clients, who I love so much, bring to me in session. And last week, I had two clients in the same day bring me situations in which they felt overpowered by food. They were unable to stop eating the things. And I ended up coaching both of those clients on this topic. And so I thought, duh, Everybody wants to hear about this. I mean, who can't relate, okay? And I'm going to explain to you why this is such a common problem and how it is not a character flaw. It is not a lack of discipline. It is not something that you want to judge and shame yourself for doing because it is part, for most of us, part of the obstacles that we need to overcome in order to create a healthy relationship with food that allows us to heal, and to stay healed. So I'm going to paint the picture for you a little bit. I had one client who had this really beautiful gift where someone gifted her an immaculately wrapped gift of dried dates and cherries. And she opened these and was just delighted with the presentation. They were beautiful. They were high end. And so she tried some. And the way she described this to me was that she had a really difficult time stopping and she gorged herself on dried dates and cherries. She kept eating a few and then wrapping it back up and putting it away and then going back and getting it out again. And this cycle just repeated and repeated until she'd eaten way, way, way more than she wanted to. And she didn't know what to do (laughs) because she couldn't stop. The other client that I had that day was having the same experience with some potato chips. So she, and both, by the way, both of these clients are killing it. Like they've pretty much healed from most of their insulin resistance and are now looking at maintenance mode. And so this is an obstacle that's coming up after they've already done so much work and experienced so much healing. This client that I'm telling you about now, she was at a sort of cookout, right? Because the weather is changing and it's going to be summertime. School's going to get out and we're all excited about cookouts and barbecues and picnics. And she was having some family over in her backyard and there was the fire pit and all of that. And they had s'mores and she had some potato chips. And she noticed that it was really hard to stop eating the potato chips. <laughs> Who can't relate, right? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my potato chip experience um, also. But potato chips and these kinds of foods, right? We're not binging on broccoli or having a hard time stop eating beef jerky, maybe. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's usually going to be what? Ultra processed foods. Foods that have been literally engineered to create maximum pleasure. We are wired for pleasure. Our brains are designed to seek pleasure. And the kind of pleasure that's coming from these kinds of foods is unnatural. We are getting a massive dopamine release, kind of like what what happens when we expose our brains to things like nicotine, alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling. The same reward center in the brain is being lit up, literally lit up by these kinds of foods. I really want you to understand this because I want you to get that these foods that you're having a hard time controlling yourself around are engineered to create and hijack your pleasure center. And we're talking to the tune of the kind of dopamine release we see with nicotine. So studies are showing that we will have 150 to 200% increase from baseline in the dopamine release with these kinds of foods in comparison to 150 to 250% for nicotine. So they're literally acting on the same place in the brain that creates this intense, pleasurable experience. And in fact, there's something, if you haven't heard of this, this is fascinating. There's something called the bliss point, which is discovered by scientists in a lab working with food on the human brain to identify the optimal ratio of sugar, salt, and fat that will stimulate the reward center in the brain. This is an established thing, and it's actually quite modern. It's something that's happened in the last 15 years or so. And our processed food companies are using this against us. And so they create foods that literally have addictive properties. So what does that actually even look like? Well, addictive properties sound like mood-altering effects on the brain, highly reinforcing, cause compulsive use, and trigger strong urges and cravings. Sounds a lot like these foods, right? Think about it, like the pizza and the ice cream and the really sugary, salty, fat-type foods. They rapidly deliver concentrated amounts of refined carbohydrates like sugar and flour and fat together with salt. (laughs) And it is a recipe for addiction. Now, not everybody has this problem, right? But many of us do, and I think it can actually be useful to conceptualize these foods in this way as addictive because many of us have been told everything in moderation, right? Which I kind of laugh at just because when you think about an alcoholic or somebody who has a substance use disorder around some kind of drug, like they can't moderate those things. We don't have just a little bit of alcohol when we're an alcoholic because we're moderating. It's just not a good idea. And so I prefer to reframe this with the idea that if you have difficulty moderating, maybe the best thing for you is to eliminate and to understand and view these foods as a weapon almost against your brain's wiring. And that will give you a little bit more compassion for yourself (laughs) when you think about how overpowering these foods can be for you and and almost like you don't have any control over yourself and the food is in control of you. 
If you have foods that you're thinking of right now that do this to you, that make you feel intense pleasure and hijack your decision-making process to the point where you have a difficult time stopping, I want you to have some compassion for yourself right now because these foods are not natural. They're actually designed to do this to you and you, in a way, have been victimized this way. I want to tell you about an experience where, and I think in the last week, where I made patty, my husband actually made patty melts for the family, and I just have mine on a lettuce wrap with all the yummy stuff on it and pickles and all that. And of course, I serve for my family chips because it goes good with that, and they love those. And I had some company, so I actually even bought special chips that I don't normally buy. (laughs) And I remember having this moment where I looked at the bag of chips, and I was like, mmm, I know that that would be super yummy. And I had this moment with myself where I slowed down and I thought, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to experience this chip. I want to fully experience in a place of watching my brain how it reacts to eating this potato chip. And it was fascinating, right? Like I put that chip in my mouth. I tasted the salt and the fat. It just was like this explosion of flavor in my mouth, okay? And it was hyper, hyper palatable, you know? It's like, whoa. (laughs) And I watched my brain just be like, mmm, like it was almost like an orgasmic experience. Like the taste is so good. (laughs) And I thought, man, this is fascinating, right? And then, of course, I watched my brain make a fit over having more. It wanted to have more and more and more. And I was doing this as an experiment to just exercise my power over it, understanding why it's so hard. And I totally get it. If you are not up for this, you don't want to open this can of worms. Like, I hear you. I've been there before too, where it's like, you know what? It's way harder to have a little bit than to have none. So I'm just going to stick with the none right now. But I did this intentionally. I wanted to watch the drama that plays out when my brain gets exposed to these hyper palatable engineered foods. And it was fascinating, you know? So now I want to switch kind of this line of discussion. And I want to give you, I want to equip you with a tool or a couple tools that'll help you arrest a binge. Like if you're in the middle of feeling out of control with food and you know what's happening, like you're seeing it going down and you're feeling very powerless in that moment, I want to give you some tools to be able to stop. Let's talk about that because that's what you're here for. The first thing that I want you to do is change the environment in two places. The first place you're going to change the environment is in your mouth. In that moment that your mouth is having that taste that is super palatable, right, and super pleasurable, I want you to totally change the flavor, okay? I don't know what you have to do if you have to get some pickles out. (laughs) This client of mine with the potato chips, I was like, you should have reached for the sauerkraut. That would have totally changed the taste in your mouth. Some people will just go brush their teeth. Um, I don't know. That doesn't work for me as well. Probably just putting something else in my mouth that tastes completely different would do the trick better than going to brush my teeth. But do what works for you. Like if brushing your teeth is going to work, do that. But basically what you're doing is trying to break that intense experience and switch it completely for your mouth. And then you want to do the same thing with your environment. 
Change your environment. Don't sit there with the dried cherries and dates packaged up in the drawer next to you. (laughs) You want to leave. Go do something, okay? And this is somewhat of a distraction, but it's also to break the pattern. What you're trying to do is break the pattern. So don't sit with the food. If you're at a gathering or a party, I want you to walk over to the other side of the room and do something. Start a conversation with somebody, play around with the music, whatever you can do to distract yourself and get away from that situation. If you're at work, maybe you just need to get up and go outside or go talk to a coworker about a problem, go solve a task, do something else that's away from where you're at with the food. Maybe you're at home. That's where I'm at most of the time. And that might mean I'm going to go for a walk outside. I'm going to go start some laundry. I'm going to go run an errand. I just need to get away from that pattern, that situation. So that's the two biggies, guys. The two biggies that will break the pattern and at least give you a minute to breathe, to change the environment in your mouth, and then change your physical location and the environment around you. Now, the second step that I coach my clients on is how to make a powerful decision. We want to be able to make a powerful decision that we can put into action immediately. It might be that you throw away the food or somehow get it out, remove it from your environment. That can be a very powerful feeling to just get rid of it. But for me, the best thing that works is to take that decision that's in my brain, that I am done eating the things and get it outside of my brain. That might mean I go tell somebody. It might mean that I write it down. Some people will get on Facebook. I watch this happen all the time, like in some of the groups that I'm in around this kind of a topic where they just get on and they say, I'm done eating the garbage. I'm done with the bad decision, whatever it is. I'm starting a fast and they just put it out there. Why does this work so well? Well, it becomes something outside of you when you take it out of your brain and you put it out into the world. And that is something that is easier to commit to and stay accountable to. So even if you took that decision outside of your brain and just wrote it down on a journal or wrote it down on a post in Facebook or just called up your bestie or texted your friend or your spouse or something and just told him like, listen, I'm having a hard time right now and I just need an accountability buddy, like somebody who you can stay accountable to. And that is such a powerful way to make your decision and put it into action. I'm thinking about, I think I may have told you this on an earlier podcast, but I'm thinking about one of my friends that we have a Marco Polo group of girls And she was on vacation in Mexico, and she just needed an accountability partner. So she got on the Marco Polo group and told everybody there that she was done eating the garbage that was making her physically sick on this vacation. And then, like, I think that same week, another girl got on and said, I'm done eating the whatever it was. It was like brownies or cookie bars or something. (laughs) And it's just funny because both of them testified later on that doing that shut down all the drama in the brain and allowed them to completely change direction and refocus and take consistent action in a completely different direction. And I've experienced that myself too. And I want you to try that. If you have, like, just take a second right now to think of how you could do that in your life. Is there someone that can 
partner with you for this purpose? Or is there some way that you can take that decision and put it down or outside of your brain somehow so that you can hold yourself accountable to it? The last two things are sort of additionals that I want to offer to you. They are going to be value adds to what I've already taught you in this podcast, okay? Because what you came here to learn was how to stop. And I think that those two tools right there that I taught you are the two biggies. But there is more that can be gained from this experience that will make it actually a beneficial thing for you. So many times we judge a problem as something has gone wrong, and then we judge ourselves of what was wrong with us that allowed this to happen, and that keeps us stuck. And so we might be able to arrest the binge, but some of us are still going to berate and belittle ourselves in our self-talk, and that keeps us stuck. It keeps us in a place where we're not able to learn. And so these last two steps I want to offer to you as value adds. The first one is going to be to realize and remind yourself who you are becoming. Remind yourself what's at stake here and what you truly desire, which you deserve to have. So sometimes I like am able to zoom out in the moment and look at the whole picture and say to myself, that freaking cinnamon roll or whatever it is, is not going to rob my future self of what she truly desires. Like, like I almost want to get my dukes up and be like, I'm pissed, you know? This thing, this s'more or this temptation in the moment, whatever it is, is not going to stop me from getting what I truly desire. And it's almost like I'm ready for a fight, okay? That for me is a very effective way for me to refocus on what I truly desire. But if you can as much as possible in any given moment, be able to access the part of you that is creating the part of you who is attached to what it is you truly desire and why this is so important to you. Most of you are working on this because you're unwilling to surrender to a lifetime of fighting with your blood sugars and with chronic disease, getting sicker and taking more medication. That's what I mean when I say what's at stake. And if you can connect to that, You're going to be able to affirm and affirm and ground and ground and center and center yourself and where you are going and who you are being in order to get there. The second step that's in addition is to be able to learn from that experience. If every time you, quote, failed, every time you, quote, made a mistake was something that you learned from, you completely morph that experience into an opportunity, into something that makes you stronger and smarter because you can bet that that situation is going to happen again. You're going to be in the same environment with the same kind of food again, and your brain is going to want to justify and hijack that situation so that it can get the pleasure, which is what we're wired for. Your brain is always going to be seeking pleasure. It's always going to be avoiding discomfort and doing the easy thing. It wants you to do those things because it's wired to do those things. It's part of our survival wiring. And that is always going to be looking for instant gratification. And so if you can take those experiences where you put the thing in your mouth that turned into a pretty hairy situation, (laughs) 
You can learn from how you got there. Like what happened in the moment that your brain was convincing enough to you, even in a very unconscious way, that you haven't ever seen it before. You're not even aware of what was going on. And you're using this as an opportunity to get clarity, to watch your brain convince you and persuade you and trick you sometimes into trying the thing, right? Like, cause I'm, it might sound kind of like exhausting, but with practice, this gets a lot easier because I'm laughing at the moment where I w- saw the bag of chips and my brain was like trying to talk me into having some and I saw it going down, but I like almost like challenged it. I'm like, oh yeah, you want some of that? You want some of that? Let's go. <laughs> because I'm like, you know that putting that in your mouth is going to ignite this whole other drama. And so I laugh at how good you can get at watching your brain try to sneaky, sneaky get you to do the thing that turns into an ugly situation. And so I want you to get good at watching your brain trick you into doing that. What is it saying to you? And I'll just share with you one of my clients that she noticed the thoughts, well, you only live once. She noticed the thought, why can't I just be normal like everybody else and have the bun on my hot dog or whatever it was? Like watch your brain talk you into it because it's always coming from instant gratification when it's doing that in the moment. And I even think of it a lot as like a toddler or one of my kids who's a master negotiator who will come to me and convince me that I should let them do something that's clearly not in their best interest, not in their long-term best interest at all. And as their mom, I'm able to see that. And sometimes I do let them have the second treat or whatever it is that they're trying to persuade me or another 30 minutes of game time or whatnot. But I understand that that conversation, that child is not thinking about their future. They're thinking about instant gratification in the moment and what they want right now. And as their mother, I see the future. I see what's best for them. I see where they're going. And the conversation that you're having in your mind sometimes is going to be a lot like that. It's going to be the child self throwing a fit, wanting the thing that's pleasurable, and you, your higher self, the mom brain, or whatever you want to call it, lovingly saying no. So those two steps right there, centering yourself in what you truly desire, and learning from the situation will help prepare you to not fall into these traps that sometimes our brain will set for us. And it's very clever in doing that. And by the way, it's done it many times in the same way. So when you start watching it do it, you will see it happening over and over again in the same way. And you'll be onto it so fast. You might even see it coming before it triggers. All right. I hope that this podcast helps you. And I just want to remind you that if these are the things you struggle with, it's totally normal. And this is why so many clients that I have sought out coaching. They need this kind of support because it's very common. And it's this is a very difficult thing to do. And so if that's you, I want you to think about giving yourself the kind of support that would allow you to consistently take action so that you can be successful. You deserve to have a future that is free from type 2 diabetes. And it's possible that you can have that. I believe in you. All right, I'll see you on the next podcast. Okay, don't leave yet. You're going to want to hear about this. 
If you love my podcast, if I'm the only sane voice you found on this subject, if I've already helped you, you need to check out my online course. It's a start to finish step-by-step video course that teaches you all the tools you need to know to beat this disease. You can find it on my website, sarahtownley.com, along with lots of other free tools that will make taking care of your diabetes so much easier. So get over there right now. See you there.